Good morning. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we will have someone bring you one. Before we get started, I just want to say that it's good to be here this morning. Uh, things are going good with what God has called me to go do. Uh, we continue to uh, go to homes on Sunday mornings. Um, on my Sunday looks like me and my son, when we first get up in the morning, we go over a lesson together and then... I'll go to a couple of houses of some people that I know, and we're going to take the next eight months, year, or, or however long it takes to really just pour into them to make sure that they get all that God has for them and that we uh, just stand with them and walk with them into their growing and growing and things become consistent and um, it's natural it's kind of like what Jesus said when he said, do not let your left hand know, or your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Uh, it's just natural. It just happens. And so that's the goal of us being Christians. It's not about heaven. You'll hear me say that. We talk about heaven too much, but heaven will take care of itself. You have Jesus. You ain't got to worry about that. But eternal living is right now. And so this morning want to share a few things with you. Uh, we're going to dive right in. Um, your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And it reads, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he heard the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I pray that this morning, this word is one of encouragement. Um, and when I say encouragement about this message, I mean one that motivates us up to get up and do some things. Do some things in our homes, do some things in our workplaces, uh, do some things when we're in line at the grocery store. Um, we're we're going we're gonna, to gonna discuss a few things this morning. Um, it's good when we tell people, come visit my church. Really love the church, the people are loving. It's good to do that. It's good to get up behind podiums and pulpits 
to preach the word of God. It's a privilege to do that. But more importantly than any of all of that stuff of inviting people and standing up here to preach, more importantly, our lives should already have been preaching the message. Preaching the message with our lives before you even open up your mouth and quote any scripture. Because we're good at trying to throw scripture at people. We're good at saying you need to come visit and we, we want to bypass our part of living a certain way in front of other people. And we say, hey, if you just come, you'll see the love. But no, they ought to re already be receiving the love before we invite them or before we even preach to them. You are CG. When I say CG, it's an acronym C-I-G-I, -I, and it stands for created in God's image. You are, I am. We're all created in his image, and we ought to act accordingly. What does that mean? That means you have value, you have worth, dignity, meaning, and purpose from your birth. You don't have to go anywhere to go look for it. You already have it. You were born with it. And that's one of the problems we have today. We go searching in relationships and, and try to do it in careers and all these things to try to find meaning and purpose, but you already have it. You are CG. You have it. Let's open that up just a little bit before we move on. Value and worth are two words that are similar in meaning. If something has value, then the beholder of that thing or person will go to great lengths to obtain it at any cost because it is worth it in his or her eyes. You just, you just heard the worship team say you will climb any mountain, light up any shadow, and God does those things constantly for us because we are worth it. You and I are CG. Dignity reminds us that everyone is worthy of honor and respect. Purpose and meaning, two are similar words that have similar meaning. They remind us that we didn't just happen to be here and that our lives have some form of direction and is wrapped up in God's great project. You and I, we are CG. And one thing we have to understand is that it's God's project, not ours. We got too many people, and I'm guilty of it at times, that want to talk about what I've always wanted to do this. But is it something that's wrapped up in what God wants done, not what I've always wanted to do? Is it wrapped up in what God says that he created us to do? Our text this morning reveals the heart of God and how he sees us and others and what he wants from us. There's a great opportunity before us as students, and I, and I say that on purpose because that's what a Christian is. When you look in the Bible, the disciples, another word for students, or lifelong learners, because it's not that I got saved one time and I, I'm, it's 
I'm a lifelong learner, a lifelong student of Jesus. This is going to continue on. Even after I die, I'm still going to be following him on the other side of eternity. Lifelong students. And this is an opportunity for us as his students of Jesus' school of the kingdom. Because that's what this is about. Jesus taught his entire walk on this earth about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same thing. What God is doing and how can we join in on it? Looking out in the world today, I see the same problem that Jesus had in his day as he observed the crowds. What is that problem? I'm going to give you two things. There's a large sum of people whose lives are wrecked with confusion and who are helpless to do anything about it. Large sums of people, their lives are wrecked with confusion. They don't know how to overcome anything that's going on in their lives. They don't even understand a lot of times that they're doing something wrong. That's one of the reasons why the words from the cross are so powerful. We want to look at Jesus like it's just about humility, and it is. But when he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, he's saying that for a reason because a lot of times people don't know what they're doing. But we don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt that we were also in a spot at one time where we didn't know what we were doing. And it's important to say, yeah, you, you've done some things to me but I'm not going to just throw you off to the side. There are large sums of people that their lives are wrecked with confusion, and they don't have any type of way to do anything about it, and that's where we come in. The second thing is there are not enough people willing to go out and do something about it. In our jobs, you got people hurting every day. In our schools, you have people hurting around you all the time, and then we have to get up and do something about it. So when Jesus went from town to town and village to village, and he taught, and he healed, and he did all these things, and he brought the good news about the kingdom of God and that God is near you, and he's doing something, and he wants you to join in with it, and it's the opportunity is right now. When he did that, he looked and saw that they were harassed and helpless like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. Nobody to guide them. Nobody to protect them. Nobody to keep them from harm and any other thing you want to lump in with that. So the next obvious question is why? And I want to give you three reasons, and this is not an exhaustive list. One, we are too distracted by the world and the things of the world. That's number one. Number two, we are unwilling to discipline ourselves for the task. And the third one is we are not being fully converted in our churches today. Let's start with the first one. We are distracted by the world and the things of the world. There are two primary, re two primary ways that we see this in our lives today. In the pursuit of wealth and in the pursuit of pleasure. We're distracted by the world and the things of the world, and the two primary ways these, this comes about in our lives, 
We are in the pursuit of wealth and in the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of wealth is something that can really cloud our judgment. And, And let me say this first and foremost, that wealth in and of itself is not bad. It's not evil, right? But it is the motivation behind it. Uh, let me give you an example. Many of you know my background and how I was in the streets doing all kinds of stuff, selling drugs, gang banging, and all of these different things that I did in my life. And having the wrong motivation about, got to get this money. Got to do it, and I will do whatever it is to get it. And see, that's just, that's, that's one extreme. But then you look on the other side, and we'll go through some more of this in just a minute. But look on the other side at like corporate America where the competition is high and I'll do whatever I can to step on top of you to get to where I'm trying to get. And then we wonder why we have people in high places that have no morals or no values. And then you have things like Enron. And then you have things like what happened in 2008 when the market crashed. You have all of these things coming because the pursuit of wealth is all that matters. People don't even matter anymore. Most people don't even know why they are pursuing wealth the way they do. It's just something to do and just something to talk about because that's what everybody's doing. You look at social media early in the morning every day, what you say, I'm getting to the money. Got to go get it. Dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Wake up in the morning talking about money. Lunchtime, you're talking about money. Dinner time, you're talking about money. When I'm with my friends, I talk about money. Money, 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 money. (laughs) When you have this type of mindset, competition and greed begins to surface in this endeavor. And most people, they just want money for the, the sake of having money. I just, I just want a lot of money. That's it. I just want a lot of money. You ask them why, I just want it. I just want a lot of money. And let me, let, let me say this. We begin to deceive ourselves into saying that when I get a lot of money, then that's when I'm going to start helping a lot of people. But if you ain't helping people now, you're not going to help them when you get money. I really ain't got a lot right now. I don't either. Sometimes you can be the middleman. Set things up. Get other people involved to make sure it gets done. Uh, Every year, uh, some of y'all know we do the backpack drive and other events in the community every year. And I have people that always tell me, man, we need to just do it big. And I'm like, do it big? And I tell them like this. I don't care about doing it big. I just want to get it done. I don't care about doing it big. I don't care about doing it big so everybody can say, oh, my God, did you see it? I just want to get it done. I just want kids, when they go to school, they have backpacks and they have school supplies. I don't care about doing it big. It's about getting it done. Wealth in itself is not the problem. It's our motivations that are the problem behind the scenes, and it's dangerous to always have money on the mind. You think of, of lawyers who are willing to represent anybody. Ain't no, people they know guilty. 
just willing to represent them because they're going to pay well. You're going to pay me? Oh, okay, don't worry about it. We'll find a loophole. Think of the parent. See, some, we, we go to certain extremes and it won't touch bases, but think of the parent that just, I'm going to work 70, 80, 90 hours a week and got to get this money, but I don't have time for my spouse. I don't have time for my kids, but it's okay. You do the raising and guess what? You, I will never see you. 90 hours, 80, just so exhausted. You just snap every time you come in the house. Somebody asks you a simple question. Is that your shirt right there on the floor? What does it mean? What was that my shirt? Right? You're snapping. Any little thing. I got to get the money though. Got to get the money. I remember when I was in the streets, I remember a time I was in high school. And yes, I was messed up back then. I was selling drugs in high school. I remember we had a house, well, it was more of an apartment that we were all in, and we used to sell drugs out of. And I remember somebody knocked on the door, and we would take turns. Whoever came to the door first, we, the next person would go to the door and take care of that person. And when the person knocked on the door and they came in, it was somebody I've been knowing for a while. And one of my friends that was in there, he didn't sell drugs. He was just in there with us, and it was his dad. And I saw him, and I heard him say, hey, dad, I'm looking. I'm like, man, it's my turn. And that's his dad. And the other guy whose apartment it actually was, you know what he said? He looked at the guy that was like, like they were, they were sitting there with their heads down. There's two brothers because they knew that their they dad was smoking crack. And he looked at him and said, hey, man, my mom smoked crack too. Ain't nothing you can do to stop it. And guess what? I sold it to him. Now, think about on this other side, how I've had to think about that for years. The pursuit of wealth. Selling something to one of your friend's parents because they're out there. Oh, it gets to you. <laughs> and when I first came to Christ, I remember that the Lord brought some of these things up and I'm like, Lord, I know. And that's when you begin to get grateful that he stepped in your life and he snatched you up out of that nonsense that you were in. And that's why I want to encourage you today because I've been out there and I've done all kind of stuff. But I know the one. I know the one who's able to grab you, wrap you in his arms and say, you might have been making mistake after mistake after mistake, and you've led other people into making mistakes. But guess what? When I get through with you, what does Jesus say? You'll become fishers of men. You got to go through the process so you can learn how to grab people. The time is now. There's no, no waiting around. We, we think it's going to be tomorrow. The time is now. I remember watching Rocky IV when he, right before Apollo got ready to fight the Russian, right? And he's trying to convince Rocky, we got to do this right now. He, there is no other time, right? And then right before Rocky got ready to fight Mr. T in the third one, they're training 
And Rocky is just kind of halfway doing it. He said, what's wrong, Rock? Come on, man. We got to do it. He said, let's do it tomorrow. He said, there is no tomorrow. We always look at things like we got another day. We got another week. Oh, in, in a couple of months, I'll be ready to just fully give my life over. The time is now. Our children need Jesus now. Our siblings and our rest of our family members need to see Jesus now. Our co-workers, there is no other time. There is no tomorrow. The time is right now. And it's interesting that here when Jesus fin finishes and he tells them, pray, to the, the, uh, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into the harvest, the next chapter in chapter 10, he sends them out. He says, look, let me, let, let me send you on a dry run so you can understand what you will be doing later on. And he gave them authority. So what do we invest in? Well, Jesus gives us some, he says, lay up your treasure. In other words, invest wisely. The greatest investment that you can make in this world is in people. Let me say that again. The greatest investment that you can make in this world is in people. See, we need a generation that's going to rise up and go to school, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college or wherever, and they go and they impact the university instead of them going to the university, get impacted and come back home and you don't even recognize your own child because they didn't got into all that mess that the rest of those college students are getting into. That's what we need. And we put other priorities before the Lord. And when we put other priorities before the Lord, then guess what? It's going to show up in our house. The pursuit of pleasure is something that also clouds our judgment and is destroying our world. It's destroying our societies and our young people. What I mean by this, we're trying to fill a void. This, there's this emptiness in our lives with things that make us feel good. They make us feel good. I'll give you a few examples. Look how we distort the sexual relationship today. You don't want to talk about it? Don't talk about it. We distort it in our world today. Wait till I get married. What? Wait for what? And overindulgence in substances, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pills, porn, overindulging in these things. If you look at any TV show or any movie nowadays, they're really pushing it. If you notice, people don't even really drink water or soda or juice or nothing anymore. They get off of work, they always got a beer. Here go a beer, you take one too. You came by the house, you didn't even ask me if I drink. You just, here go a beer for you. And then the higher you go up, if you are in a position of authority, you'll see they'll pour up bourbon or whiskey or some kind of strong drink. Here you go. I just walked in. I'm, I'm, I'm here to see how you're doing. I didn't ask you to pour me no drink. But in every show, I want you to go and watch any show that you watch, whether it's on Netflix or just on TV, and watch how when every time somebody gets off 
And so we begin to see this. That's all we see. So we think anytime I'm going through it, I need to go have a drink. It's been a long week. I need a drink. And it's not to saying that something is wrong with a drink. But if that's the only way you can handle your problems and try to get away from things, then that's a problem. You see people at work that they just smoked a cigarette. Now on this other break, I got to go smoke another, man. This is going to be a long day. So I just want to pills. Prescription pills is one of the main addictions in our society today. People go through something, have surgery or do anything, and they go to the store and get some, I mean, go to the doctor, get a prescription and get on these pills, and the next thing you know, they're hooked. They're trying to find a way. I just need, just start making up stuff. I had hit my big toe on the uh, bed this morning. You got some of that stuff you gave me last weekend? And overindulgence in stuff. We just talked about the drugs. I sold it. I know how it looks when you're out there trying to get it. But that's what this pursuit of pleasure is looking like in our lives, right? The pursuit of being noticed, getting attention, getting likes. I got to get these likes, right? Social media. That's why the suicide rate for teens right now is an all-time high. <clears throat> it is steady going up. Gym memberships increasing. And people are coming out looking fit and attractive, but if you look at the insides, they're dead men and women walking. Dead on the inside, but come out cut up. Live in the gym, but guess what? Dead on the inside. No type of character, no values. Uh, Want to come in your, your daughter's life and mess her life up and go mess the family life up too. Gym memberships just skyrocketing. Everybody going to the gym. But, but what we don't understand is because we don't want to read and we don't want to do any research that this, was, this is something that, that, that happened in ancient Greek culture where everybody was fascinated with the gymnasium. It's not something that's new. They were fascinated. If you look at those ancient Greeks, even their gods were all swole. The time is now that the focus can't be on everything that just make me feel good. Well, I, can, I don't have to wear a shirt now. I've been in the gym so much. Because I want people to always say something. You got kids going crazy because nobody liked their post. You got to be kidding me. Someone said this, furthermore, government legislation and subsidies have tolerated uh, every available temptation. He's talking about sugar, tobacco, alcohol, drugs, social media, porn, combined with constant stress. He's talking about work, money, home, school, cyberbullying, Internet, with the end result of an unprecedented epidemic of addiction, anxiety, depression, and chronic disease. Thus, the more pleasure you seek, the more, more unhappy you get, and the more likelihood you will slide into addiction or depression. Ecclesiastes, he says it this way. <laughs> he said, this is the end of the matter. <laughs> like, 
you look at Solomon who did everything, had all the money, had all the women, had everything he could have, had all the wisdom. He said the end of the matter has to do with following God's commandments. End of the matter. He said, you want to sum all up? All that other stuff was just, it was just foolishness. Chasing after the wind. We are unwilling to discipline ourselves when we're going to hurry up because we're going to get ready to close out. We're unwilling to discipline ourselves for the task. Discipline has to do with exercising to train, to practice, to endeavor in something. Discipline has also become something to try to avoid altogether. It has no place in our lives at all. But I say this to you. If there is something that which, bring, that which would bring clarity to your life, do it. If there is something that would bring clarity to your life, do it. If me getting up an hour early studying, spending time with God, allowing him to get me ready for work so that I can begin to see that maybe it ain't the problem with my coworker, maybe it's me and my attitude and things need to change. If getting up that hour early will bring clarity to your life, do it. If there's something that would bring clarity to your life, do it. See, we don't talk enough about spiritual disciplines in the church, but I'm going to tell you like this, the early church, they did them. Sunday morning is good coming. If you come to another Wednesday Bible study or whatever, that's good. But it takes these daily spiritual practices to get you to where you're trying to go. It takes these daily spiritual practices that help you to tap into the grace of God more and more. So down the line in about five months, you look back and say, now. I can do what I couldn't do five months ago. This is a way of life. We practice, we, we grow accustomed to doing these things over and over and over. And with these spiritual disciplines, it's going to take a strategy for you and I to move forward in our walk. Strategy. Can't just say, uh, Lord, I, what I really want is I want all the wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And then just that's the end of your prayer. You don't never do nothing. We are distracted by the world. The things of the world. Two, we are unwilling to discipline ourselves for the task. And lastly, we are not being fully converted in our churches today. What does that mean? All we talk about is heaven. If you ask 90% of the people in the church are going to, if you ask them what it means to be a Christian, everybody's going to say it means to go to heaven. It's all we talk about. It's all we talk about. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven. Then his main message was the kingdom of God. People need to know that even though your life is wrecked right now, guess what? I know God is near you right now and he wants you to see that, but not just see it, understand it, and get involved in what he wants to do in your life and the lives of everybody in your circle of influence. This paints the picture of one who surrenders 
This is what it looks like to be, it's, it's a surrendering, it's a commitment. We don't even look at becoming, and I'm going to use the word because that's what a lot of people use. I don't use that when I talk with people about being saved. It's a commitment. It's not that I, oh, this happened on this date, particular time. It's a commitment for the rest of your life. It's a commitment. It's a life that's transformed by Jesus and his teachings. Turning one life over. I'm going to read to you something. I'm going to show you what a picture of a fully converted student of Jesus looks like. In first, you don't have to turn. I'm going to read it. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. And this is what it says. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the, whole, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we, we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He said, look, you're, the, 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 the way you are living is going out all over the world right now. People, we don't even have to say anything. They're talking about you. But today, we do it the other way around. We want to tell people so much, I'm a Christian. But they don't see it in our lives. It's not about going around telling people that you are a Christian. If somebody asks you that, yeah, yeah, I am. But. I shouldn't have to tell you that I'm a Christian for you to see the love of Jesus when I interact with you. It looks like what we see in the book of Acts when Jesus is ascends to the right hand of the Father. And he ascends and now they're going out. They're being persecuted the same way he was persecuted. That's what it looks like. It looks like people saying, look, I saw Jesus go through some stuff, and now it's my time to go through some stuff. And it looks like the Great Commission when he says, I want you to go out to all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. Students of Jesus going and do what he said to do. And in light of all that we discussed, we just discussed, Jesus gives us two ways for it. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. Pray. Lord, we need some help. Why is this important for us? It focuses our minds and hearts back on who and what's important. It puts God at the center of things, and it puts his project and his plan at the center of things. It moves our plan and our project all to the side, and we focus on what he wants done. 
He's important. He's number one. And so is his plan and his project. It cultivates a heart of compassion for those that don't know that they are also CG. Those that don't have a relationship with the Lord are also created in his image. And it cultivates a heart of compassion that when I look at you, I don't just look at the sin that I know you in. I look at you and I say, hey, how you doing? And so one of the things I tell people all the time, instead of always trying to attack somebody and say, you just need to stop doing that, I just look at you and start talking to you like I don't even know what you do. Man, how's it going today? Even though I know what you're doing, I don't need to bring that up. Bring it up for what? What do I need to add more condemnation to your life for? It is important because we need to understand that Jesus is indeed the cornerstone. In Luke chapter 21 through 18, he, he gives this parable and it talks about that there's this one stone that the builders rejected. And in a nutshell, it's, it's basically we're saying this. Say you were somebody that's putting together a building project, and it's like you're grabbing stones and saying, nope, that's not the one I want to use. Nope, that's not the one I want to use. And then you pick up the one, that, that great cornerstone that's going to be the very foundation of everything you do, and you say, ah, oh, no, that don't work with my plans. And that's the way we do Jesus today, and that's the way they did Jesus in their day. But he is indeed the cornerstone. If we're not building on the foundation that he laid, then we're building in vain. And lastly, it helps us to see what it looks like to co-work with God on his project. What it looks like. What it looks like to co-work with what God is doing in the world. We see it in Jesus constantly. Father, he goes and prays. Everybody's looking for him. He shows back up. And he says, hey, we need to go to the next town and the next villages. He goes there. He preaches. He heals. He teaches. Cast out demons. Does all of these things. And then guess what? He spends time with his disciples. Answers their questions. Have a meal with them. They all sleep. Everywhere he, they, that he went, they went. And that needs to be us today. You may not physically see Jesus, but you can go everywhere that he wants to go today. The time is now. I know we got all kind of goals and career options and stuff before us, and that's what's most important a lot of times, and I just need to do this, but I'm here to tell you this morning that the time is now. We don't, we don't have time to wait, because when you, if, you, you, if you ever procrastinated in your life, I have, if you've ever procrastinated, then you know that the longer you put it off, the more it'll never get done. And Father, we're so thankful for your loving kindness. You're awesome. You're great. Um, you're, you're patient with us. You take time to help us to get it when we haven't been getting it over the last years. And so we're just so thankful that you continue to allow your grace to bring it close enough that we're able to grab it, that we're able to see it clearly. Um, and that we can begin to start walking in tune and in step with you. Let everything that is done here, the singing, the loving on one another, let it all be done for your glory.